Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I am pleased to share a session from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference on Pfizer's atopic dermatitis clinical trial with validated digital wearable technology. The speaker is Dr. Carrie Northcott, a project team leader with Pfizer. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place September 16th in Boston. We hope you enjoy this podcast. So this is cool. Carrie is going to come up, Carrie Northcott, her first time presenting to us here. This is one of those situations where, for me, I was really intimately involved in starting this project, but now I only get to hear about the outflow from the project in public presentations. So I'm super excited to hear uh, where, where she's been able to take this project, and Carrie. Thank you, Dan. Um, so I'm a project lead in the digital medicine um, group within Pfizer. And um, today I'm going to tell you a little bit about one of the projects that my team's been working on in atopic dermatitis. And the, really the importance of validation, verification, and how we're going to use these. And I say lessons learned, I want to say lessons learning. We're still learning as we go through this process, and I don't think I'm ever going to stop. So I'm a scientist by training, so you're going to have to just bear with me. We're going through basically a science talk. We're going to have the background. I'm going to go through what we're doing, things, how we got to decisions we make, and then kind of talk about the study. So with every good study, you always start with a question or a hypothesis. And about a year ago when I started this, we were presented with, can we quantitatively measure scratch and sleep in atopic dermatitis? Easy, right? No big deal. This is pretty straightforward. Well, uh, we just need to measure movement. Scratching, sleep, movement, not a problem. How do we capture it? Accelerometry devices. We use a watch-like device. You know, we're measuring the hand movement. We can see how things are going. This has been going on for quite some time. I don't know why I'm being asked this question. You know, you hit the literature. You can read it in early 2000s, even some in the uh, 1990s. But then how do we quantify these findings? Um, so if you go back and read some of those papers, they talk about movement or actigraphy and just basic movement. But then we really, the question was, is can we quantitatively measure scratch and sleep, not just movement? So we're going to have to develop some type of algorithms to really define what scratch and sleep are. So it takes it that extra step. It's not as simple as we first thought. So why are we caring about atopic dermatitis? Well, it's pretty obvious. Um, but ultimately, if you learn and you listen to people talk about atopic derm, they're going to tell you it's actually just not a rash. It's an itch that leads to rash. It's a vicious cycle. You itch, you rash, you itch, you rash. It never seems to go away. You talk to these patients, they're desperate for a solution. And a lot of this paritis occurs in the evening hours. Um, resulting in difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, which makes sense. During the day, I can wear long sleeves. I can put on a band. I can make myself not scratch. But at nighttime, in theory, I'm trying to sleep. I've lost that inhibition and I'm most likely to scratch. And there's a lot of great numbers that are showing that, that was it, 65% of patients report high frequency of itching at night. You can go through greater than 90%, again, occurs in the evening or during sleep. Um, 81 84% um, report difficulty in falling asleep. So you can imagine this is something everybody wants to know. But it's not, again, not simple. Paritis is not something I can really measure. It's not that simple. Um, it's also something kind of cool, too, that it's not just an atopic derm. It's across a lot of different dermatological uh, diseases. So you can imagine a lot of people are really interested in this. Um, paritis itself 
or itching is listed as a really common, um, what is it, 50 most common interdisciplinary symptoms leading to high burden levels. So it's something that people really feel. And depending on what country you're at, where you're at, between 8 to 38% of the population worldwide suffers from paritis. As I said, I can't measure paritis because it's complicated. It's not just scratching. Um, it's multifactorial. Um, it depends on location, intensity. When you go into different disease states, you're learning there's different types of paritis. Some um, disease states lead to people really wanting to scratch intensely in one spot. Some will scratch broadly. It varies from thing to thing. It also goes with psychiatric conditions. It can result in changes in mood and stress, which can drive it back and forth. And the overall patient perception. So, believe it or not, I learned there is an international forum for the study of itch, which is a, a, a big group of people that come together, clinical practitioners, researchers, and scientists that really want to understand the treatment of itch. So they brought back some recommendations for regulatory bodies as well as people that are uh, studying in this area. Um, what's currently used right now is uh, PROs or patient-reported outcomes, and I'm learning there are a lot of them and there's a lot in the study in the area of itch. Um, they went through a series that they recommended. Because sleep is such a component of it, they suggested using uh, various PROs as well as devices to measure sleep, understanding anxiety, depression, et cetera. What I really like to see on this, though, is they also suggested a PRO-independent assessment. And you'll see I even have it in bold, using devices to capture um, that scratch activity itself. So when people say, I'm going to use an actigraphy device or accelerometer to measure itch, they're actually not measuring itch, they're measuring scratching, which is a component of paritis or itch. What I'm learning in all of this is words matter. <laughs> so, okay, I'm measuring scratch. That's good. There's a lot of different devices out there. This is not all inclusive. But we sat down and went, okay, this isn't hard. We'll find a wrist accelerometer. As you can see here, there's a lot of different devices. And I had to think even outside the box, what if we didn't want to use a wrist accelerometer? What if we want to use something else? There's a lot of different things. And these are all different types of things you have to take into context. In the next few slides, I'm going to talk about a lot of the questions we had to ask ourselves to um, end up on the device that we ended up settling for for this study or using for our studies. One of the big things we realized is we really needed to validate and verify um, these devices, not only just in general whether we can measure scratch and sleep, but also in the right population, in the atopic dermatitis population. As I said earlier, um, depending on what type of paritis or itch you have, you can have different types of scratching methodologies or modalities and different types of sleep changes. So it's important to really verify. So am I building the right product? Am I building this right? Am I designing this correctly? And validate it. And my, I say, I even said it wrong. Verify, am I building the product right? And validate, am I building the right product? So I've got to keep these things as mine as we go forward before I release these in clinical trials. I need to show that not only will it work, the device itself, but it'll also measure what I'm saying it's going to measure. So considerations that we um, need to have when we use digital wearable devices, and many of you are probably aware of these, but as I was sitting down deciding uh, which devices or my team was, these were all questions that came to mind, and also are things that are being asked by regulatory bodies. So 
is what we're using appropriate for the study design? Does it uh, measure my performance, the safety specifications? In this space, I'm wanting to understand any topic dermatitis, so I'm not going to want any type of device on that has skin contact that causes further irritation. I'll interrupt with my clinical design study, et cetera. So you can, those are all things you have to keep in mind. We've already heard a great deal about patients. Um, in a few minutes, I'll go through a slide. We got some really great uh, feedback and interesting concept from uh, patients. Compliance, will they wear it? Where is it located? They're very concerned about that. The tolerability, again, the safety, usability. We need that feasibility study. Operational aspects, again, we've heard about this already today. Um, the failure rate, the battery life, software and firmware that needs to be updated. How do we get it to where we need to go? And other types of non-performance related specifications. I can build you the best Ferrari, but I've kind of got to put it on a trial of over 500 patients. So I've got to keep in mind how much it's going to cost. Um, it's going to cost more than $20,000 to put all those devices on, but I've got to go to a project team and justify that budget. Scalability, how do I get this to all the patients? How do I train everybody? Um, which country I'm in? Um, one of the big things we're learning right now is every country has a lawyer, just so you know, that you have to get everything signed off on. There's a lot of them when you're in trials that are across the worldwide. So you get to meet a lot of really new people. Um, software compliance, um, data storage. So who's going to store all this data? Because we're talking lots of data. And, and, and then the contra contracting aspect. We all have the best aspirations. Everybody wants to work with one another, but there's still got to be contracts in place, et cetera, and that all takes time, effort, and money. So a lot of what I've talked about right now has dealt with the devices themselves, but then we got to think about the data. And I think it was already touched on as well. How are we going to download that data? We're going to use a hub. We're going to Bluetooth link it in. Are um, we just going to have them record it and bring it back into the clinic? There's a lot of different questions you have to keep in mind. Remember, we're talking large volumes of data when we're looking at raw accelerometry data. So we can't just easily move one thing to the other. And who and where will that raw analyzed data be stored and hosted? I actually, when I first came in, naively thought this shouldn't be a big deal. Start a server, it's not a big, no big deal. Everybody can do this and come to find out not everybody's willing to host data. Again, we go back to contracting. Who's going to host it? What are they going to do with it? How is it going to be hosted? Et cetera. Those are all questions you have to keep in mind, even back when I'm doing the validation and verification work, because eventually we want to deploy this in a larger trial. So I've got devices, I've got data, but I still haven't shown you what scratch and sleep are. So now I've got to work with that software and algorithm considerations. And that simple question is getting more and more complicated. So we have to not only validate the devices, we have to understand and validate and verify those algorithms and that software that we're going to use to do that analysis. Does it actually tell me what it's supposed to tell me? Can it actually detect changes? So is it just measuring scratch in a broad sense, or what's that sensitivity and specificity of that? And is it open source versus proprietary? Regulatory agencies want to be able to see what's being used, as we just heard. Can I go download it? Can I look at those files? And you know that's something to keep in mind. You can't just walk into a regulatory body saying, trust me, this works. Check out my cool numbers. They want to see how you got there. They want to play with that data. And I said I'd come back to this. I had the great opportunity to, to sit on a patient panel um, where we wanted to put this in and really get that patient feedback. And uh, just to give you a heads up, the first visit we had with them, the patients were like, uh, no, absolutely not. I don't want anything touching my skin. No way. Uh-uh. When we started to explain what we wanted to do, we got the feedback that, yes, we want to know what's happening with my itching and sleep during the night. Because 
I keep being told I'm being waking up and doing the stuff, and I wake up with lesions that are getting bigger, but I don't know what I'm doing. So this would be a great way for me to find out. When you go talk to key opinion leaders, they're really split. You have, again, those people are like, yep, this works. And then you have the others that are like, yeah, sounds great. Devices just aren't there yet. They don't do what they promise. And what about patient compliance? Um, you know, other big questions that came up with, do you lead to more skin irritation? What's the band made of? How long do I need to wear it? These are all things that the patients are asking that you better be prepared to answer when it comes to both uh, validating, verifying, and then using it on a trial. So the question is, is how do we make sure it works? Because I can sit and do all this, and I've been doing it now for over a year, and I need to prove to them that it really does work. So we need to design that site to prove that it can. So we did. Um, actually, several studies. And our overall aim is to both uh, quantitatively evaluate nighttime scratch and sleep quantity in response to atopic dermatitis. And where is the significance in this? We want to you know, provide those comparators to those globally uh, used clinical gold standards, those PROs. And I don't expect them to actually correlate beautifully. Because you can imagine, and we have various bets going on right now how this is going to turn out, but you, know, you may actually stop scratching before you realize you've stopped scratching. How many times have you all of a sudden started to feel better after having the flu and you didn't realize until two or three days later, oh my god, I quit throwing up. I'm feeling better. Um, we want to enhance our understanding of atopic dermatitis. Maybe this will help us understand more when someone's going to have a flare or the actual um, pathophysiology of the disease itself and how well those treatments are actually doing. Can we compare various treatments and how well they're working with regards to scratching and sleep quantity? And you can imagine there's a large impact in this and that we can better understand the condition as well as the therapeutic impact of the assets that we have in atopic dermatitis and really just provide that information to the patients. They want to know how much am I scratching, why is this happening, and the effect on the various caregivers, et cetera. So to do this, I've got a really complicated slide here showing a lot of pictures of what we're really doing. So we've set up a, a ver verification validation type trial where we have uh, patients come in. It's an all-comers type study. So anybody has atopic dermatitis and you're scratching, you're welcome. We want to understand scratch and sleep. So to do that, we have them come into the clinic for a couple of nights. We're going to have them wear the accelerometry devices, and we're going to obtain that data. We also have them sleeping on a sleep pad. We actually have um, thermal uh, imaging occurring via a FLIR camera. This allows us to not only see them sleeping at night, but imagine you're not going to sleep over on top of the covers. <laughs> so you've got to have some way to see them under the covers. And one way to do this is using thermal imagery. As you can see in the picture, you can use different colors, and you can actually see them scratch underneath the covers. We're going to have PSG. We're having PSG also perform to understand that's the gold standard of sleep. We're also having them take the PROs. We're having them do it in electronic format, which is the way that things are coming nowadays. Basically, I've taken them step by step through that. And also asking the patients to scratch on cue. Please hit a button, scratch. So that way we know that they're actually scratching at that time at various points in time. We're going to compare those values that we get from accelerometry and the algorithm assessments and raw data to those gold standards of the video annotation where I know they scratched, as well as other activities and the PSG and the PROs, and do those comparisons back and forth. So we're really testing, can this measure scratch and look at sleep quantity? And is there any relation to sleep quality and looking at the different stages as well? 
like I already stated what my goal was, we're looking at different scratching episodes, length of time scratching, not scratching, because it's really important to no scratching, but how often are they not scratching? Um, time between the different episodes, sleep quantity. We're going to do those true scientific quantification values, looking and comparing with the video, the accelerometer, look at my true negatives, false negatives, true positives, false positives, to really understand that sensitivity and specificity of those measurements. So can we estimate that agreement with sufficient certainty that they're actually scratching and how long they're sleeping? We really need to know that sensitivity. I'm not saying that we can't use it if it's not perfect, because I highly doubt we're going to be perfect. Some of our preliminary work has demonstrated, you know, at night you might be doing something else and it's detecting a scratch. That's okay. The way you design studies, you're looking at baseline to treatment. But it's really important to know what those sensitivity and specificity values are with a certain degree of sensitivity walking into that. And remember I said we're doing that in the clinic. Well, the other part I didn't tell you is not only are they doing it in the clinic with thermal imaging, but then we're sending them home with the devices with the exclusion of the video camera. Not a lot of people want to put a thermal video camera in their home for a couple of nights. But we're going to be able to then compare the accelerometry, sleep pad data, PRO data with what we obtained in the clinic. So we'll be able to do that in clinic versus out of clinic comparison. Are they going to be more compliant when they're in the clinic and having someone watch? Or are they going to continue to wear those at home for several days? and clearly understand device um, comfort and how well they want to work with it. So I've got three minutes. We have a brief summary and conclusion. Um, I wish I had a lot of great data to show you right now, but as I said, this is not only lessons learned, but lessons learning. Um, we are now um, performing these studies. We're actually looking at everything from two-year-olds all the way up to 75 um, in several different studies. And the purpose behind this is, is in atopic dermatitis, kids and adults actually scratch differently. And there's research based on that. And kids might actually walk up to a wall and scratch or use their feet or different types of things. And can we detect those movements? And can we see that? So there's important things for us to know. So there's a lot of great digital tools and devices that really have the capability of transforming our clinical trials as we know them. They provide benefits to the patients, understand the disease state, help the research in the field, and really help the industry as a whole. But it's paramount for us to make sure that these tools are fully evaluated for their accuracy, sensitivity, compliance, and ability of these devices to be operationally deployed if they're to be accepted and used broadly. And our group is really um, knee-deep in starting to evaluate this, especially in atopic dermatitis and scratch. So if you have atopic dermatitis, please, uh, Boston University and Rochester right now are working for us and uh, are working with us, uh, collaborating with us on these types of studies. So uh, that's what I have right now. Hopefully next time we'll be able to show you some of our data. Questions? And it takes a team and a full village. By no means am I the only person doing this. There's a large group of us. Dan, you're at the bottom of that list. Yep. What, what happened there? There's certain behaviors that are rewarded with being moved <laughs> down the list. <laughs> uh, well, that's a brilliant presentation. That's terrific. So many cool um, elements coming together. I, I was wondering if you could speak to any ways in which you're blending subjective data coming from the PROs with the objective data coming from the atigraphy devices. I'm thinking about compliance. I'm thinking about contextualizing non-dermatitis-related itching, like a sunburn or something else, um, to better understand what you're seeing off the actigraphy device. So the PROs are primarily the ones that are currently accepted in that aspect of regards to itching. So there are some questions based on that. We are looking at the correlation, the mathematical correlation of those uh, 
assessments we figured out and worked with our various uh, groups to understand how we can do that quantification analysis between the two. Um, we're also cognizant it might not necessarily capture the sunburn and other types of things, but it's really just um, really looking at that from more of a mathematical correlation type point of view. I'm not quite sure I... Yeah, no, that's great. But, well, again, um, that's terrific. Well done. That's thanks. Awesome. I have a simpler question. Um, how many devices did you use and on what limbs? Because right, you mentioned like the feet scratching and you put them on both wrists. Oh, so right now we're using one on each wrist. Um, the advantage also is, you know, can we measure the feet scratching? It'll be interesting. So one of the things with the video annotation we're doing is not only measuring just hand scratching, so am I using my fingers, my wrists, my arm. With the video annotation, we're also looking at other activities, restfulness or um, restlessness, and other types of did they use their foot to scratch, et cetera. Those are all being annotated to see if we can put some type of digital signature to those as well and doing those comparisons as well. As you can imagine, with atopic dermatitis, we don't, it would be ideal to put devices everywhere, but their skin, that's the big thing we heard. And we have a device that doesn't actually touch us. <laughs> so it's kind of tough. But with the accelerometry and the type of device we're using, because we're not monitoring heart rate or skin raw values, they can actually wear a sleeve, wear it over their sleeve in different ways, so it doesn't actually physically touch them. That was great. Thank you. This was Carrie's first time up here at this particular conference talking about this topic, but I think that in the theme of continuity and getting back uh, outputs from the things we hear about the design of or things we hear that are underway, I think we very much should hear how this goes. Uh, the, the foot scratching thing, of course, makes, I can't help but think about like, you know, what about people who scratch their ear with their hind leg? <laughs> but, but then maybe. <laughs> When, when the Fitbit thing first started, like that was like, one of my favorite jokes was the joking about putting it on the dog. And but of course, like several people have now made bazillions of dollars making dog Fitbits. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast from the 2018 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference. The 2019 Mobile and Clinical Trials Conference takes place September 16th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. And for getting to the end of this podcast, take advantage of a 10% discount with code MRADIO. Again, that's a 10% discount with code MRADIO, and the website is theconferenceforum.org. Thanks, everyone.